0: Welcome to our podcast, and this week at London Visited, we go to the Tower of London for part one of three to tell you all about this iconic part of history in London. My name is Steve, and each week I'll bring to you the facts, history, and information about different parts of this great capital. If you've been to London, are planning on visiting, live here, or just love London from afar, then this is the podcast for you. Also, don't forget to visit our YouTube channel, London Visited, to see videos covering this place and so many others across London. And now to this week's podcast. The Tower of London, officially Her Majesty's Royal Palace and Fortress of the Tower of London, is a historic castle located on the north bank of the River Thames, in central London. It lies between the London Borough of Tower Hamlets, which is separated from the eastern edge of the square mile of the city of London, by the open space known as Tower Hill. It was founded towards the end of 1066 as part of the Norman Conquest of England. The White Tower, which gives the entire castle its name, was built by William the Conqueror in 1078 and was a resented symbol of oppression inflicted upon London by the new ruling elite. The castle was used as a prison from 1100 until 1952, although that was not its primary purpose. A grand palace early in its history, it served as a royal residence. As a whole, the tower is a complex of several buildings, set within two concentric rings of defense walls and a moat. There were several phases of expansion, mainly under Kings Richard I, Henry III and Edward I in the 12th and 13th centuries. The general layout established by the late 13th century remains despite later activity on the site. The Tower of London has played a prominent role in English history. It was besieged several times, and controlling it has been important to controlling the country. The tower has served variously as an armory, a treasury, a menagerie, the home of the royal mint, a public record office, and the home of the crown jewels of England. From the early 14th century until the reign of King Charles II, a procession would be led from the tower to Westminster Abbey on the coronation of a monarch. In the absence of the monarch, the constable of the tower is in charge of the castle. This was a powerful and trusted position in the medieval period until the late fifteenth century, the castle was the prison of the princes in the tower. Under the Tudors, the tower became used less as a royal residence, and despite attempts to refortify and repair the castle, its defences lagged behind developments to deal with artillery. The peak period of the castle's use as a prison was in the sixteenth and seventeenth centuries, when many figures who had fallen into disgrace, such as Elizabeth I before she became Queen, Sir Walter Rowley, and Elizabeth Throckmorton, were held within its walls. This use has led to the phrase, sent to the tower. Despite its enduring reputation as a palace of torture and death popularized by the 16th century religious propagandists and the 19th century writers, only seven people were executed within the tower before the world wars of the 20th century. Executions were more commonly held on the notorious Tower Hill to the north of the castle with 112 occurring there over a 400-year period. In the latter half of the 19th century, institutions such as the Royal Mint moved out of the castle to other locations, leaving many buildings empty. Anthony Slavin and John Taylor took the opportunity to restore the tower to what was felt to be its medieval appearance, cleaning out many of the vacant post-medieval structures. In the First and Second World Wars, the tower was again used as a prison and witnessed the execution of 12 men for espionage. After the Second World War, damage caused during the Blitz was repaired and the castle reopened to the public. Today, the Tower of London is one of the country's most popular tourist attractions. Under the ceremonial charge of the Constable of the Tower and operated by the Resident Governor of the Tower of London and Keeper of the Jewel House, the property is cared for by the charity Historic Royal Palaces and is protected as a World Heritage Site. The tower was orientated with its strongest and most impressive defenses overlooking Saxon London, which archaeologist Alan Vince suggests was deliberate. It would have been visually dominating the surrounding area and stood out to traffic on the River Thames. The castle is made up of three wards, or enclosures. The innermost ward contains the White Tower and is the earliest face of the castle. Encircling it to the north, east, and west is the inner ward, built during the reign of Richard I. As 1189 to 1199. Finally, there is the Outer Ward which encompasses the castle and was built under Edward I. Although there were several phases of expansion after William the Conqueror founded the Tower of London, the general layout has remained the same since Edward I completed his rebuild in 1285. The castle encloses an area of almost 12 acres, with a further 6 acres around the Tower of London constituting the Tower Liberties land under the direct influence of the castle and cleared for military reasons. The precursors of the liberties was laid out in the 13th century when Henry III ordered that a strip of land adjacent to the castle be kept clear. Despite popular fiction, the Tower of London never had a permanent torture chamber, although the basement of the White Tower housed a rack in later periods. Tower Wharf was built on the bank of the Thames under Edward I and was expanded to its current size during the reign of Richard II 1377 to 1399. The White Tower is a keep, also known as a donjon, and was often the strongest structure in a medieval castle and contained lodgings suitable for the lord, in this case the king or his representative. According to military historian Alan Brown, the Great Tower was also by virtue of its strength, majesty, and lordly accommodation the donjon par excellence. As one of the largest keeps in the Christian world, the White Tower has been described as the most complete 11th century palace in Europe. The White Tower, not including its projecting corner towers, measures 36 by 32 meters at the base and is 27 meters high at the southern battlements. The structure was originally three stories high, comprising a basement floor, an entrance level and an upper floor. The entrance, as is usual in Norman keeps, was above ground. In this case, on the south face, an access via a wooden staircase which could be removed in the event of an attack. It was probably during Henry II's reign (1154-1189) that a four-building was added to the south side of the tower to provide extra defenses to the entrance, but it has not survived. Each floor was divided into three chambers, the largest in the west, a smaller room in the northeast, and the chapel taking up the entrance and upper floors of the southeast. At the western corners of the building are square towers, while to the northeast, a round tower houses a spiral staircase. At the southeast corner there is a large semicircular projection, which accommodates the apse of the chapel. As the building was intended to be a comfortable residence as well as a stronghold, latrines were built into the walls, and four fireplaces provided warmth. The main building material is Kentish rag stone, although some local mudstone was also used. Canestone was imported from northern France to provide details in the tower's facing. Although little of the original material survives, it was replaced with Portland stone in the 17th and 18th centuries. As most of the tower's windows are enlarged at the 18th century, only two original, albeit restored, examples remain in the south wall at gallery level. The tower was terraced into the side of a mound, so the northern side of the basement is partially below ground. As was typical of most keeps, the bottom floor was an undercroft used for storage. One of the rooms contained a well, although the layout has remained the same since the tower's construction. The interior of the basement dates mostly from the 18th century when the floor was lowered and pre-existing timber vaults were replaced with brick counterparts. The basement is lit through small slits. The entrance floor was probably intended for the use of the Constable of the Tower, Lieutenant of the Tower of London and other important officials. The south entrance was blocked during the 17th century and not reopened till 1973. Those heading to the upper floor had to pass through a smaller chamber to the east, also connected to the entrance floor. The crypt of St John's Chapel occupied the southeast corner and was accessible only from the eastern chamber. There is also a recess in the north wall of the crypt, according to Geoffrey Parnell, keeper of the tower history, at the Royal Armouries. The windowless form and restricted access suggest that it was designed as a strong room for the safekeeping of royal treasures and important documents. The upper floor contained a grand hall in the west and residential chamber in the east, both originally open to the roof and surrounded by a gallery built into the wall, and St. John's Chapel in the southeast. The top floor was added in the 15th century, along with the present roof. St. John's Chapel was not part of the White Tower's original design. As the apsidal projection was built after the basement walls. Due to changes in function and design since the tower's construction, except for the chapel, little is left of the original interior. The chapel's current bare and unadorned appearance is reminiscent of how it would have been in the Norman period. In the 13th century, during Henry III's reign, the chapel was decorated with such ornamentation as a gold-plated cross and stained-glass windows that depicted the Virgin Mary and the Holy Trinity. The innermost ward encloses an area immediately south of the White Tower, stretching to what was once the edge of the River Thames. As was the case at other castles, such as the 11th century Hendommen, the innermost ward was probably filled with timber buildings from the tower's foundation. Exactly when the royal lodgings began to encroach from the White Tower into the innermost ward is uncertain, although it had happened by the 1170s. The lodgings were renovated and elaborated during the 1220s and the 1230s, becoming comparable with other palatial residences such as Windsor Castle. Construction of Wakefield and Langthorne Towers, located at the corners of the innermost ward's wall along the river, began around 1220. They probably served as private residences for the Queen and King respectively. The earliest evidence for how the royal chambers were decorated comes from Henry III's reign. The Queen's chamber was whitewashed and painted with flowers and imitation stonework. The Great Hall existed in the south of the ward, between the two towers. It was similar to, although slightly smaller than, that also built by Henry III at Winchester Castle. Near Wakefield Tower was a postern gate which allowed private access to the King's apartments. The innermost ward was originally surrounded by a protective ditch, which had been filled in by the 1220s. Around this time, a kitchen was built in the ward. Between 1666 and 1676, the innermost ward was transformed and the palace buildings removed. The area around the White Tower was cleared so that anyone approaching would have to cross open ground. The jewel house was demolished and the crown jewels moved to the Martin Tower. The inner ward was created during Richard the Lionheart's reign, when a moat was dug to the west of the innermost ward effectively doubling the castle's size. Henry III created the ward's east and north walls, and the ward's dimensions remain to this day. Most of Henry's work survives, and only two of the nine towers he constructed have been completely rebuilt. Between the Wakefield and Lungthorn Towers, the innermost ward's wall also serves as a curtain wall for the inner ward. The main entrance to the inner ward would have been through a gatehouse, most likely in the west wall on the site of what is now Beauchamp Tower, the inner ward's western curtain wall was rebuilt by Edward I. The 13th-century Beauchamp Tower marks the first large-scale use of brick as a building material in Britain, since the 5th-century departure of the Romans. The Beauchamp Tower is one of thirteen towers that stud the curtain wall. Clockwise from the southwest corner, they are Bell, Beauchamp, Devereux, Flint, Boyer, Brick. Martin, Constable, Broad Arrow, Salt, Longthorn, Wakefield, and the Bloody Tower. While these towers provided positions from which flanking fire could be deployed against a potential enemy, they also contained accommodation. As its name suggests, Bell Tower housed the belfry, its purpose to raise the alarm in the event of an attack. The Royal Bowmaker, responsible for making longbows, crossbows, catapults, and other siege and hand weapons had a workshop in the Boyer Tower. A turret at the top of Langthorne Tower was used as a beacon by traffic approaching the tower at night. As a result of Henry's expansion, St Peter ad Vincula, a Norman chapel which had previously stood outside the tower, was incorporated into the castle. Henry decorated the chapel by adding glazed windows and stalls for himself and his queen. It was rebuilt by Edward I at a cost of over 300 pounds and again by Henry VIII in 1519. The current building dates from this period, although the chapel was refurbished in the 19th century. Immediately west of the Wakefield Tower, the Bloody Tower was built at the same time as the inner ward's curtain wall and as a water gate provided access to the castle from the River Thames. It was a simple structure, protected by a portcullis and gate. The Bloody Tower acquired its name in the 16th century. As it was believed to be the site of the murder of the princes in the tower. Between 1339 and 1341, a gatehouse was built into the Curtain Wall between Bell and Salt Towers. During the Tudor period, a range of buildings for the storage of munitions was built along the inside of the North Inner Ward. The castle buildings were remodeled during the Stuart period, mostly under the auspices of the Office of the Ordnance. In 1663, just over £4,000 was spent building a new storehouse, now known as the New Armouries, in the Inner Ward. Construction of the grand storehouse north of the West Tower began in 1688, on the same site as the dilapidated Tudor range of storehouses. It was destroyed by a fire in 1841. The Waterloo block, a former barracks in the castellated Gothic Revival style with domestic Tudor details, was built on the site and remains to this day, housing the crown jewels on the ground floor. A third ward was created during Edward I's extension to the tower, as the narrow enclosure completely surrounded the castle. At the same time, a bastion known as Leggs Mount was built at the castle's northwest corner. Brass Mount, the bastion in the northeast corner, was a later addition. The three rectangular towers along the east wall, 15 meters apart, were dismantled in 1843. Although the bastions have often been ascribed to the Tudor period, there is no evidence to support this. Archaeological investigations suggest that Legs Mount dates from the reign of Edward I. Blocked battlements in the south side of Legs Mount are the only surviving medieval battlements at the Tower of London. The rest are Victorian replacements. A new 50-metre moat was dug beyond the castle's new limits. It was originally 4.5 meters deeper in the middle than it is today. With the addition of the new curtain wall, the old main entrance to the Tower of London was obscured and made redundant. A new entrance was created in the southwest corner of the external wall circuit. The complex consisted of an inner and an outer gatehouse and a barbican, which became known as the Lion Tower as it was associated with the animals as part of the Royal Menagerie since at least the 1330s. The Lion Tower itself no longer survives. Edward extended the south side of the Tower of London into land that had previously been submerged by the River Thames. In this wall, he built St Thomas's Tower between 1275 and 1279, later known as Traitors' Gate. It replaced the Bloody Tower as the castle's watergate. The building is unique in England, and the closest parallel is the now demolished watergate at the Louvre in Paris. The dock was covered with arrow slits in case of an attack on the castle from the river. There was also a portcullis at the entrance to control who entered. There were luxurious lodgings on the first floor. Edward also moved the royal mint into the tower. Its exact location early on is unknown, although it was probably in either the Outer Ward or the Lion Tower. By 1560, the mint was located in a building in the Outer Ward near Salt Tower. Between 1348. And 1355, a second Watergate Cradle Tower was added east of St Thomas's Tower for the king's private use. Victorious at the Battle of Hastings on the 14th of October 1066, the invading Duke of Normandy, William the Conqueror, spent the rest of the year securing his holdings by fortifying key positions. He founded several castles along the way, but took a circuitous route toward London. Only when he reached Canterbury. Did he turn towards England's largest city. As the fortified bridge into London was held by Saxon troops, he decided, instead, to ravage Southwark before continuing his journey around southern England. A series of Norman victories along the route cut the city's supply lines and, in December 1066, isolated and intimidated, its leaders yielded London without a fight. Between 1066 and 1087 William established 36 castles, although references in the Doomsday Book indicate that more were founded by his subordinates. The new ruling elite undertook what has been described as the most extensive and concentrated program of castle building in the whole history of feudal Europe. There were multi purpose buildings serving as fortifications, used as a base of operations in enemy territory, centers of administration, and residences. William sent an advance party to prepare the party for his entrance, to celebrate his victory, and found a castle. In the words of William's biographer, William of Poitiers, certain fortifications were completed in the city against the restlessness of huge and brutal populace, for he, William, realized that it was the first importance to overawe the Londoners. At the time, London was the largest town in England. The foundation of Westminster Abbey and the Old Palace of Westminster Under Edward the Confessor, had marked it as a centre of governance, and with a prosperous port, it was important for the Normans to establish control over the settlement. The other two castles in London, Baynard's Castle and Mount Fitchet's Castle, were established at the same time. The fortification that would later become known as the Tower of London was built onto the southeast corner of the Roman town walls, using them as prefabricated defences, with the River Thames providing additional protection from the south. This earliest phase of the castle would have been enclosed by a ditch and defended by a timber palisade and probably had accommodation suitable for William. Most of the early Norman castles were built from timber, but by the end of the 11th century a few, including the Tower of London, had been renovated or replaced with stone. Work on the White Tower, which gives the whole castle its name, is usually considered to have begun in 1078. However, the exact date is uncertain. William made Gandalf, Bishop of Rochester, responsible for its construction, although it may not have been completed until after William's death in 1087. The White Tower is the earliest stone keep in England and was the strongest point of the early castle. It also contained grand accommodation for the king. At the latest, it was probably finished by 1100 when Bishop Ranulf Lombard was imprisoned there. was loathed by the English for exacting harsh taxes. Although he is the first recorded prisoner held in the tower, he was also the first person to escape from it, using a smuggled rope secreted in a butt of wine. He was held in luxury and permitted servants, but on the 2nd of February, 1101, he hosted a banquet for his captors. After plying them with drink, when no one was looking, he lowered himself from a secluded chamber and out of the tower. The escape came as such a surprise that one contemporary chronicler accused the bishop of witchcraft. The Anglo-Saxon Chronicle records that in 1097 William II ordered a wall to be built around the Tower of London. It was probably built from stone as a replacement for the timber palisade that arched around the north and west sides of the castle, between the Roman wall and the Thames. The Norman conquest of London manifested itself not only with a new ruling class, but in the way the city was structured. Land was confiscated and redistributed among the Normans, who also brought over hundreds of Jews for financial reasons. The Jews arrived under the direct protection of the crown, as a result of which Jewish communities were often found close to castles. The Jews used the tower as a retreat when threatened by anti-Jewish violence. The death in 1135 of Henry I left England with a disputed succession, although the king had persuaded his most powerful barons to swear support. For the Empress Matilda. Just a few days after Henry's death, Stephen of Blois arrived from France to lay claim to the throne. The importance of the city and its tower is marked by the speed at which he secured London. The castle, which had not been used as a royal residence for some time, was usually left in charge of the constable, a post held at this time by Geoffrey de Mandeville. As the tower was considered an impregnable fortress in a strategically important position, possession was highly valued. Mandeville exploited this, selling his allegiance to Matilda after Stephen was captured in 1141 and the Battle of Lincoln. Once her support waned, the following year he resold his loyalty to Stephen. Through his role as constable of the Tower, Mandeville became the richest and most powerful man in England. When he tried the same ploy again, this time holding secret talks with Matilda, Stephen had him arrested, forced him to cede control of his castles, and replaced him with one of his most loyal supporters. Until then, the position had been hereditary, originally held by Geoffrey de Mandeville, a friend of William the Conqueror's and the ancestor of the Geoffrey that Stephen and Matilda dealt with. But the position's authority was such that, from then on, it remained in the hands of an appointee of the monarch. The position was usually given to someone with great importance, who might not always be at the castle due to other duties. Although the constable was still responsible for maintaining the castle and its garrison, from an early stage. He had a subordinate to help with his duty, the Lieutenant of the Tower. Constables also had civic duties relating to the city. Usually they were given control of the city and were responsible for levying taxes, enforcing the law, and maintaining order. The creation in 1191 of the position of Lord Mayor of London removed many of the constables' civic powers and at times led to friction between the two. The castle probably retained its form as established by 1100 until the reign of Richard I, 1189 to 1199. The castle was extended under William Longchamp, King Richard's Lord Chancellor and the man in charge of England while he was on a crusade. The Pipe Rolls record 2881 pounds, 1 shilling, 10 pence spent at the Tower of London between the 3rd of December 1189 and the 11th of November 1190 from an estimated 7,000 pounds spent by Richard on castle building in England. According to the contemporary chronicler, Roger of Howden, Longchamp dug a moat around the castle and tried in vain to fill it from the Thames. Longchamp was also constable of the tower and undertook its expansion while preparing for war with King Richard's younger brother, Prince John, who, in Richard's absence arrived in England to try to seize power. As Longchamp's main fortress, he made the tower as strong as possible. The new fortifications were first tested in October 1191 when the tower was besieged for the first time in its history. Longchamp capitulated to John after just three days, deciding he had more to gain from surrender than prolonging the siege. John succeeded Richard as king in 1199, but his rule proved unpopular with many of his barons, who, in response, moved against him. In 1214, While the king was at Windsor Castle, Robert Fitzwater led an army into London and lay siege to the Tower. Although under garrisoned, the Tower resisted and the siege was lifted once John signed the Magna Carta. The king reneged on his promises of reform leading to the outbreak of the First Barons' War. Even after the Magna Carta was signed, Fitzwater maintained his control of London. During the war, the Tower's garrison joined forces with the Barons. John was deposed in 1216 and the barons offered the English throne to Prince Louis, the oldest son of the French king. However, after John's death in October 1216, many began to support the claim of his eldest son, Henry III. War continued between the factions supporting Louis and Henry, with Fitzwater supporting Louis. Fitzwater was still in control of London and the Tower, both of which held out until it was clear that Henry III's supporters would prevail. In the 13th century, Kings Henry III and Edward I extended the castle, essentially creating it as it stands today. Henry was disconnected from his barons and a mutual lack of understanding led to unrest and resentment towards his rule. As a result, he was eager to ensure that the Tower of London was a formidable fortification. At the same time, Henry was an aesthete and wished to make the castle a comfortable place to live. From 1216 to 1227. Nearly £10,000 was spent on the Tower of London. In this period, only the work at Windsor Castle cost more, £15,000. Most of the work was focused on the palatial buildings of the innermost ward. The tradition of whitewashing the White Tower, from which it derives its name, began in 1240. Beginning around 1238, the castle was expanded to the east, north and northwest. The work lasted through the reign of Henry III and into that of Edward I interrupted occasionally by civil unrest. New creations included a new defensive perimeter, studded with towers while on the west, north and east sides where the wall was not defined by the river, a defensive ditch was dug. The eastern extension took the castle beyond the bounds of the old Roman settlement, marked by the city wall which had been incorporated into the castle's defenses. The tower had long been a symbol of oppression, despised by Londoners. And Henry's building program was unpopular. So when the gatehouse collapsed in 1240, the locals celebrated the setback. The expansion caused disruption locally, and £166 was paid to St Catherine's Hospital and the Prior of Holy Trinity in compensation. Henry III often held court at the Tower of London and held parliament there on at least two occasions, 1236 and 1261, when he felt that the barons were becoming dangerously unruly. In 1258, the discontented barons, led by Simon de Montfort, forced the king to agree to reforms, including the holding of regular parliaments. Relinquishing the Tower of London was among the conditions. Henry III resented losing power and sought permission from the Pope to break his oath. With the backing of mercenaries, Henry installed himself in the Tower in 1261. While negotiations continued with the barons, the king ensconced himself in the castle, Although no army moved to take it, a truce was agreed with the condition that the king hand over control of the tower once again. Henry won a significant victory at the Battle of Evesham in 1265, allowing him to regain control of the country and the Tower of London. Cardinal Ottenborg came to England to excommunicate those who were still rebellious. The act was deeply unpopular and the situation was exacerbated when the cardinal was granted custody of the tower. Gilbert de Clare, 6th Earl of Hertford, marched on London in April 1267 and laid siege to the castle, declaring that custody of the tower was, not a post to be trusted in the hands of a foreigner, much less of an ecclesiastic. Despite a large army and siege engines, Gilbert de Clare was unable to take the castle. The Earl retreated, allowing the king control of the capital and the tower experienced peace for the rest of Henry's reign. Although he was ready in London, Edward I undertook the expensive remodeling of the tower, costing £21,000 between 1275 and 1285, over double that spent on the castle during the whole of Henry III's reign. Edward I was a seasoned castle builder and used his experience of siege warfare during the Crusades to bring innovations to castle building. His program of castle building in Wales heralded the introduction of widespread use of arrow slits in castle walls across Europe drawing on eastern influences. At the Tower of London, Edward filled in the moat dug by Henry III and built a new curtain wall along its line, creating a new enclosure. A new moat was created in front of the new curtain wall. The western part of Henry III's curtain wall was rebuilt, with Beauchamp Tower replacing the castle's old gatehouse. A new entrance was created, with elaborate defenses including two gatehouses and a barbican. In an effort to make the castle self-sufficient, Edward I also added two water mills. 600 Jews were imprisoned in the Tower of London in 1278, charged with coin clipping. Persecution of the country's Jewish population under Edward began in 1276 and culminated in 1290 when he issued the Edict of Expulsion, forcing the Jews out of the country. So, I hope you've enjoyed part one of our in-depth look at the Tower of London and its history. Whatever podcast service you use to listen to this, please do subscribe to get updates on new shows and also leave us some feedback. If you've got any places you'd like us to feature in future podcasts, you can email me directly on londonvisited at gmail.com or you can contact us on Twitter and Instagram through at our London visited. Thanks for listening. Really hope you enjoyed our podcast and we'll be back soon for part two of our history of the Tower of London. We'll see you then. Bye.